All things. All things. And the Bible says all things are possible to those who believe. God is doing amazing things. You know, we're not always aware of it. But that doesn't mean he's not doing it. We just need to pray and ask God to open our eyes. Because he is there. And he does care. And he's working everything out for good for every one of us that loves him and is called according to his purpose. Amen? God is so good. Well, you can greet some of the folks around you and, and then you can be seated. I was derelict in my duties. I forgot to dismiss any of the children, but it looks like they're either not here or they're gone. So that's a good thing. They're where they need to be. Um, like I said, God is doing great things. And, and uh, you heard last week, if you were here or you were watching online, you uh, uh, could tune into. We didn't have the live feed in the second service, but I believe we've got that all figured out this week. Way to go, John. Uh, but amen. Amen. Um, but uh, we had a video testimony from uh, Mark Nashton. And, and he was just sharing about what had happened a couple of weeks ago. He was working and in, in ministering in the parking lot, helping people get in and get out without running into each other. I know some of you don't need help, but some of us do. And uh, uh, he was just sharing how he was in tremendous pain. And he came in uh, to sit down to hear the word and and was really expecting to hear from God and, and heard um, God's word about forgiveness and realized that there was an area of his life that he needed to, to really put that into practice and forgiving some family. And as he was willing and obedient to God to release and forgive and to walk in love, um, God healed him. God healed his heart first. And then as he was walking out, he realized that his body was healed and the pain was gone. And any pain? No pain? Woo! Way to go, God. <laughs> you know, that's it. there's so many things God's doing, and yet we, we sometimes we focus on things that we see aren't done when we want and how we want. But I... I, I I had a number of things that I was, I was told and shown this week uh, of what God was doing. I'm going to share one with you. Uh, a few weeks ago, we got a call here at the church. There was a, a person that was heading towards some very, very serious and very dangerous surgery, brain surgery. There was a tumor in, in this uh, man's brain, and it was deep in his brain, and it was something that the doctor said, you know, we don't know if you're going to make it through. And if you do make it through, we're not sure what condition you're going to be in. And so he called, and at first we didn't understand why he was calling here, but he, he made it known that he knew his life wasn't right with the Lord. 
and still didn't understand why he called here, but we were grateful. And he came in, and I realized he and his brother had worked on this church. <clears throat> and uh, he was really afraid. He was afraid of not being right with God. And the person that came with him was, was also just saying, I don't know, I don't know how to get right with God, but I want to make sure that, that we're right with God because we don't know what's ahead. And Pastor Gabe and I spoke with this, uh, these two and, and, uh, and shared with them what it, what it takes. They both made sure their lives were right with God, that they had received forgiveness and, and were trusting Jesus to be Lord of their lives and also trusting him to take care of this situation. And we talked about everything. We talked about the fact that, you know, the doctor has told you all these different scenarios, what could happen, what might happen, what might not happen, and uh, very scary. And we shared with him, look, you know, we don't know. We're trusting God like we do in everything. We know God's good and, and he's going to work all things for good. And I, I shared with this brother that, um, you know, I had been believing for my mom to be healed. And uh, she was. She wasn't healed the way I wanted her healed. She's healed and whole in heaven. And I said to him, look, we're all going to die. Which means the end of this life for us as Christians is over, but a new life begins for eternity in the best and most glorious and beautiful place there is. And... Uh, you know, he said, I'm not afraid. I have a real peace. And so we, we've been praying, and, and his surgery was Monday, and we didn't hear anything. And uh, Thursday, Pastor Gabe called and talked with the person that had brought this brother here and said, do you want to talk to him? And what had happened was the doctor took more x-rays and looked and saw that the tumor that was in his brain has now shrunken to the place where they didn't have to do any surgery. Isn't that amazing? You know, nobody can take credit for that but God. And, and you know, that's a miracle. Doctors... Can't explain it. There wasn't anything that they did to make this happen, but God did. And we're believing for it to completely disappear and for him to be able to experience the abundant life that God has for him and, and uh, fulfill the plan and purpose God has for him. It's, it's an amazing thing. Sometimes we say, well, God, you did that for him. Why aren't you doing it for me? But you don't know what he's doing for you. But whatever he's doing, it's good. And God has promised this. Listen that he'll work all things out for your good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. If you don't see what he has promised, he's not done yet. Amen? Praise God. Well, we're going to continue on uh, learning about, we've been learning about and studying unity, how important unity is because we know the Bible tells us division. Where there's division, uh, nothing will, will exist. You know, division is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to divide because where there's division, there's no strength. Uh, but God is a God who unites. And uh, 
we've been learning about this unity, this oneness that Jesus prayed for us. We'd be one with, with him and the Father, and we'd be one with one another because the result of that unity, that oneness, is that the world would believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. That's what we're after. We're here to be witnesses. We're here to impact the community around us. And uh, as we walk in, in that unity, which is created by love, it's love that produces unity. And unity will cause revival. And so we, we've been learning about this in Colossians chapter 14 where it says that we're to clothe ourselves with love that binds us together in perfect harmony. Another translation says perfect unity. But it's love that brings that unity because we know love covers a multitude of sins. So there are going to be things that happen to us. And because of love, we're going to be able to cover over and, and transform that evil that's done to us into something good. Just like God said, he'd work all things for good. If it's, if it's working all things for good, it doesn't start out good. But when God has his way, it ends good. And, and we've also found out that that love is expressed in verse 12 and 13 as tenderhearted mercy or compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving. And, and as we studied this out, uh, we got to the place where we looked at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start this morning in verse 21. But before we do, if you just bow your heads, bow your heads at home, because God wants, wants to invest and make a deposit in your life today. He does every day. But today, we're together. We're here. We're, we're looking to God, expecting him to speak something that is relatable, that is pertinent to our lives. And he can do that to each one of us. And so, Father, today we, we look to you, we listen for you. In all the things that are said here today, Father, we thank you that you're going to speak a word to us that is that rhema word, that sword of the Spirit. That, Father, we will be able to use it to Fight the good fight of faith to see your will accomplished in us and through us and in the world around us. That, Father, through your word and your spirit, you will empower us and impart to us everything we need to be able to walk out this week. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you right now for us recognizing the word you're speaking to us, receiving it, hiding it in our heart, and adjusting our lives to conform to it. And so we thank you for the good work that you've begun in us, that you're faithful to complete. And so today, Father, we praise you and thank you for the work you're going to do in us, for the work that you'll do through us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. So in Romans chapter 12, we looked at this verse, the last verse in the chapter. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Another translation says, don't be conquered by evil. And as we look around today in the world that we live in, there is a whole lot of evil going on. But the Bible tells us where, where evil or sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And this says, don't be conquered or overcome by evil, but overcome or conquer evil how? With good. 
with good. That's not our norm. If, if something comes at us, we usually go back at it in like kind, right? But this says we overcome evil with good. That doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to compute, but it, according to God's kingdom and God's way and God's economy, this is the way God does things. This is the way we need to do things. We don't give back in kind. We give back good for evil. Well, why would we do that? Well, because God's word says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it's the goodness of God that leads us in repentance. Repentance is a turnaround. It's, it's, it's a reversal. And, and that word repentance means to change from evil to good. So in effect, what it's saying is we overcome evil with good. When we do good in the case of somebody doing evil, we help them make that turn from where they've been going, what they've been doing, towards God and good. You know what? It's what happened in your life and my life. You know, we've done all sorts of things, and somebody, somebody didn't give us what we deserved. Somebody gave us what we didn't deserve and couldn't get on our own and loved us and was merciful with us and kind with us and humble with us and gentle with us and patient with us and forgiving us and all of a sudden it took us by surprise and it began to arrest us and slow us down from going the way now i'm not saying that one incident turned us around but a series of things turned us around and turned us back to god and it was the goodness of god it was the love of god and so that's how we we that's how we roll it's how we're supposed to roll as Christians. But how many of you know that this is something that we have to learn? We have to be growing in God's grace and in God's knowledge, being transformed, not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is the beginning of this chapter. And so it ends up this way. This is, this is the end product. This is the goal. But we also looked at, at verse 17 and 18 that says this, repay no one. Oh, come on, God. No one evil for evil. Aren't there some that we could just kind of sneak that evil in? Because they're really evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, God's word says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. That means that there are going to be instances where we're going to walk in love. We're going to walk in, in mercy and, and compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. And somebody else is still going to hold on to that grudge. They're going to nurse the hurt. And, and as much as it depends on us, we're to live peaceably. Look for that reconnection in the body of Christ. Look to build a bridge, not allow a wall to be built. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So, again, not our norm for operation. When, when somebody persecutes you, when somebody gives us a hard time, what do we normally tend to do? Thanks, Kathy. Get them. That came from Kathy Feinerfrock. <laughs> if Kathy said it, we all know we're guilty of it. Uh, but, but it's true. We, we tend to want to just react. And how many of you know when we react, 
Most of the time it's in the flesh. The Bible says if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap destruction. If we sow to the spirit, we'll reap everlasting life. There's a choice there. What am I going to respond to? What's going to be guiding me? Is it going to be what I normally do, what I feel, what I see, what I think? Because we sang this morning, I'm not going to live by what I see. I'm not going to live by what I feel. So we've got to live by faith, walk by faith. And that is looking towards God and his word to be the guiding force in our lives, to be the one who guides us and governs us. And when we do, we're going to do something that's very peculiar, very different for us and for what other people would expect to experience. When they do bad to us, we're going to do good. When they persecute us, we're going to bless. So in effect, the way this works is God has for us to live a life of love, live a life of him. That's what love is, God. And we're going to live this love in a way that it's manifest in these characteristics that we read in verse 12 and 13 of Colossians, that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians would be revealed in our lives. And we would forgive. We wouldn't give back in kind. We would forgive. And then we would go the next step and we would bless. See, when we forgive somebody, we release a debt. It's, it's, it's a grace pardon. That's what the word forgiveness is defined as, a grace pardon. And grace is something we don't earn. It's a gift. We were saved by grace through faith. It's a gift, lest anyone would boast. But we give it to somebody undeserving but still give it we release them from what they've done doesn't mean we went over this it doesn't mean we're saying what they did was okay or that they can do it again all right but we forgive but that's not the end of it because if god just forgave us if god sent jesus to the earth paid the price for our sin and forgave us and then said okay you're forgiven Make it on your own. Is that what God did? Live this life the best you can. I've forgiven you. Do the best you can. No, he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with abundant life. I'm giving you abundant life. I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's a blessing that came along with that. Not just salvation as far as I'm not going to hell. But all heaven is being released to you. All the resources, all the power that is God's is now blessing, available as blessing your life. And if that's what God did for us, aren't we supposed to freely receive and freely give to others the same as we've received? Yeah, we are. So we're to bless those who persecute us. And bless and do not curse. You know, when we bless somebody, we bestow something good on them. God is always looking to get good to you. Because if he can get that blessing and that goodness to you and you recognize it and you receive it, and many times we don't receive it because we don't feel worthy of it, 
I'm just going to stand here for a second and let you think about that. Because most of us struggle with that all the time. That we feel like, oh, you know, I, I, I didn't read my Bible enough. I didn't go to church. I uh, haven't prayed. I've done all these bad things. So I don't just, no, 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 no. God's love for you never, never changes. All right? And, and we need to look to God to receive the forgiveness and then for God to release the blessing, for us to be able to overcome anything that we encounter. And, and so the love covers that sin. Then love forgives and then love blesses. And, and today we're going to look at a couple of situations where Jesus, one was teaching a parable and another one, he was in a situation that reveals some very important things to us of why maybe we do or don't love mercifully and kindly and humbly and gently and patiently and forgivingly. But in Luke chapter 15, this is a parable that's probably one of the most well-known parables. And uh, as we read this, there were times that Jesus would teach parables and he would, he would have a phrase at the beginning, uh, the Good Samaritan, uh, this parable, and this is it. Uh, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. When, when scholars read this, the, many of them believe that when Jesus was using that phrase, a certain man, what it was was he was indicating that this was a well-known story that was about a real person that most likely the audience that he was talking to would know. And so Jesus is sharing something that was a real-life situation that happened, and they would probably know about it. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And you, you know the story. He, here's a, a young man who is arrogantly, pridefully, hurtfully saying to his father, Hey, Dad. I want my inheritance. I want it now. I don't want to have to wait. I don't want to have to wait till you die because really you're dead to me. All I want is your stuff. Isn't he saying I want this more than I want you? How many of you know that hurt? To have your offspring say to you, I want my stuff that you have. And then it says he left. He left and he departed for uh, a distant land. You know, I, I many times have, have seen things like this happen. And, and we all have this expectation. There's somewhere else out there that's better than where I am. If you're where God has you, there's no place better. And I don't know about you, but I know that I have come to find out there were times where I thought it looked like there was a better pasture over there. So I would go and find out it was just the same as where I was. 
or sometimes not even as good. You know, you can look at a grass, patch of grass, because you're looking at it at an angle. It looks like it's richer and fuller and lusher, if that's a word, than where you are. And you get over there and you find out, you know what, it's just like where I came from. And so he, he determined there was a better place for him and he took off. And the Bible tells us that he lived this just very worldly, sinful life. Just doing everything he wanted to do, using what his father had given him, his inheritance. And it, it, he wasted it. And it says that famine came, a hard time came. And he went to work. Because he'd run out of his inheritance. And the work that he had, does anybody remember what work he, he finally found? Yeah, little Jewish boy feeding pigs. Not a thing that any Jewish boy should be doing. Pigs weren't anything they were supposed to be messing with. And he got so hungry and so desperate that he wanted to eat the pig slop. And in that moment, all the friends that had gathered around him when he had money. All the fun he had had that was costing him more than he realized. He's now alone. He's hungry. He's got no place to sleep. He's dirty. He's desperate. And the Bible says he comes to himself. He has one of those aha moments. And he realizes, you know what? There's only one place I can go that I know when I get there, it's going to be okay. I got to get back to my father's house. But remembering what he's done, how he's, he's disrespected, dishonored his father, how he has basically told his father, I don't care about you. I just want what you have that's going to be mine, but I want it now. He realized, I can't go back. I can't go back as a son. I'll go back as a servant because I don't deserve to be a son. Now, how many of you know that whether he thought that or not, a son is a son is a son, and a daughter is a daughter is a daughter? Because what did he do to become a son that he deserved to be called a son? How does anybody become a son or a daughter? Amazing, born, and what did they have to do with it? Nothing. And so that's who he was, no matter what he did. And this is, this is a type and shadow of us with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we do things and we feel like we can't go back to God. You know, I've done too much. I've, I've done it again and again and again and again, and you've forgiven me, but this time I don't deserve to be forgiven. I, 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 I don't want... I, don't, I, I shouldn't have the sonship, so let me work for it. It's not anything you can ever work for. You can't work to be a son or a daughter. You are, or you're not. If you're not born to that person, you're not the son or daughter, no matter what you do. Now, you can be adopted, all right? And when adoption happens, it's an amazing thing, and God... God is so good to bring us all in. But at this point, he says, i got to get back to my father's house. And he starts rehearsing what he's going to say when he gets back. And he starts walking. And he, he 
acknowledges that he sinned and who he sinned against. And, and we pick this up in verse 20. It says, and he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's repented. He's owned his sin. He has believed something that's not true. I, I don't deserve to be your son. Well, you didn't do anything in the beginning to be, deserve to be a son. So that's not part of the equation. But it says he arose and came to his father. And when we, he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Now, we've talked about this before, but I truly believe the reason why his father saw him wasn't because on that day he happened to be out there and kind of looked that direction and said, oh, my gosh, that looks like my kid. I wonder what he's coming home for. I believe with all my heart that every day that father went out and looked for his son, believing that he would see his return because he loved him. In spite of the injury, in spite of the dishonor, all of those things, that father still chose to love him. And the reason why we know this is, what does it say? When he saw him, he had what? Compassion. That's part of how love is revealed and expressed. He had compassion. He was merciful towards his son. Now, this... We, we've already determined that many scholars believe that this was a real experience. People knew about this. And can you imagine, and we should, we should imagine when we read the Bible, you should use your imagination. And so in using our imagination, the people of the town had heard about this, that this guy's son had disrespected him. And listen, do you know in that society at that time, if a son or a daughter had disrespected a parent, they had the right to stone him, kill him on the spot. It's a little different today. I'm not saying that was good, but that's, that's what was going on. And so maybe there were people of the town that saw the father going out each morning looking and, and noonday and looking, looking for the son's return. And they didn't know why he was looking. They didn't know what was in his heart. They could have written their own story. You know, he's looking for him because if he sees him, he's going to take him apart. That could have been one of the scenarios, couldn't it? But this father was loving. He had compassion on him. And, and it says he ran towards him. Now, again, this in our time, it doesn't mean anything. But in their time, that was astounding. Because that was not something that a grown man in that society at that time did. They did not run for anything. It was unbecoming. So what happened? He had compassion and he was humble. The father was loving, compassionate, humble. He ran towards the son. Now the son doesn't know why he's running towards him. All the people watching don't know why the father's running towards him, but they're all writing their own stories. Everybody's writing their own stories, but there's only one, two that know. God and this man know why he's running. And he's running because of love. He's humbling himself and he's moving towards his son. And can you imagine all the people looking on and the son seeing dad come? If my dad were running towards me and I had done what he had done, I would have run. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. 
We were in Florida. I was, uh, the team that I had played for in high school was playing uh, a series in Florida. And um, my mom and dad and I uh, and my brother were in Florida to watch the game. And after the game, uh, there were some of the players that just wanted to come over and spend some time with us. And then they, uh, they needed to get taken back to their hotel. And so I was going to drive them back. And I drove them back, but I couldn't remember how to get back to the hotel I was in. And that was before cell phones and GPSs. And I couldn't remember the exact name of the hotel. Needless to say, I was lost. And I didn't get back there until really late. <clears throat> and when I pulled into the hotel, it was kind of shaped like a U, and the parking lot went around the outside of it. When I pulled into the hotel, my dad happened to be in the office in the front. Now, he and my mom had called the highway patrol. They had called all the hospitals. They had called everything, and they were concerned. And when my dad saw the car drive in the parking lot, he began to run. See, I think about dad's running, and I think about this. My dad was a big man, uh, and, and he was a gentleman, but... When he was running, if I had seen him in the rearview mirror, I never would have stopped. <laughs> but I didn't, and I stopped, and it was okay. He, he, he was merciful and, and very kind with me. But this dad, he's running towards his son, and all these people are expecting to see him rise up to the sun, get right up to him, and knock him out. And they see him embrace his son. And it shocks everyone. Even the son. And, and while he's, it says he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son's talking to the dad. Dad's holding him and hugging him and kissing him. And he says, I don't deserve to be a son. You know, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And the dad's not listening. Because he loves him. I want you to know your heavenly father loves you. He's not running away from you. He's not running towards you to punish you. He loves you. He's running towards you to restore you, to heal you, to forgive you, to bless you. And it goes on to say in verse 22, and the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this was my son, for this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And then they began to make merry. They began to celebrate. But he, he says, he says to everybody in this moment, they're coming back, there's this big celebration that's starting. The older son's out in the field, he's wondering what's going on, and he asks, what's going on? And the servants say, hey, your brother's back. Your dad's going to throw the biggest party. He's having the fatted calf killed, and we think, well, what, yeah, okay, as long as he was fat and good and 
tasty. But the fatted calf was for the most special, important guest. And here's this kid that has run off and done all this, and he's the most important? Really? And the father says, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and all this is so important. So in this house, where was the best robe? Did they have a special closet that said best robe? The best robe belonged to the father. They went into dad's closet and got his favorite robe and brought it out and put it on the son. Remember what he was like? He came from the mess where the pigs were. It wasn't like he stopped off and had a, you know, a night at the Holiday Inn. He had just been walking, the mess he was, and he shows up, and they bring the best robe and put it on him. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. Immediately, for anybody looking at this, he's got the best robe on. They don't see all his filth. They don't see all his failure. They don't see all his flaws. They see the best robe. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, it says God clothes us with a garment of salvation and he covers us with his robe of righteousness. His righteousness over our unrighteousness. Then a ring. This is a signet ring. That signifies the fact that he has restored full standing into the family to have the same rights and powers that he did. And sandals. Why sandals? Because he, in his mind, said, I don't deserve to be a son. I'll be a servant. And the fact that they put sandals on him showed that he was a son, not a servant. This is what God does for us. If we'll let him if we'll recognize what he's doing and we'll receive what he wants to do in our lives and realize this is, what did the son do to warrant this type of treatment? Nothing. This was a choice made by the dad before the son ever showed up. This is a choice made by your heavenly father. Your heavenly father before you ever mess up and show up after the mess. He's looking to restore you. Love forgives and love blesses. Love covers, love forgives, and love blesses. And they begin to have this party. And, and the older brother hears about it. And it, it, it catching up in... in Verse 25, it goes on to say this. Or I'm sorry, verse 28. The older brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as, as this son of yours came who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. 
Now, if we could go back, John, I'd appreciate it. So the older son is now angry. Now, this word anger, it's, it's a word that means outbursts of anger, enraged. And, and he wouldn't go in. So now we've got a restoration, a reuniting of the father and the younger son, but the older son now is divided. I want you to know the enemy will get in wherever he can. And you and me, we need to be very careful of this. Because what God's doing right now, God's bringing the prodigals back. Listen. There are Christians that have gone off and done their own thing. And God is working in the hearts of all of his people to bring them back to him and back together. And when the prodigals show up, we as those that have been like the older brother, we've been faithful. We better not pull an attitude like his because then we're going to be divided. We're going to be choosing to step away because of our arrogance and our pride? Here's what he says. The father came out to plead with him. He left his, the son that just returned and showed so much love for the older son and said, come on, come on, come on. We need to go. And the older son says, that's your son. Yeah, but it's your brother, but he never mentions that. He said, all these many years, I have been serving you. I never transgressed your command at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <sighs> Below the surface of this older son that seemingly looked like he was faithful and loving and good, man, he was just biding his time. He wasn't doing it out of love for the father. It was what he could get. Because he said, you've never done this for me. And then he says, I've never transgressed your command at any time. Really? Really? You've never done anything wrong towards your father. So he's in a pretty elite group, him and Jesus. No, what's happened? He's deceived. And where there's deception, there is loss. He's deceived, and now he's so deceived, he thinks, I've never done anything wrong towards you, which gives him the right to look down on his brother, he thinks, because I'm better, I'm superior. Folks, there's no one any of us can look down on. All of us have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. All of us need the mercy of God and the grace of God to be able to live every day. All of us need the forgiveness of God and the love of God every day. There's not a one of us that can make this without God who is love and his love towards us, his mercy towards us, his kindness towards us, his humility towards us, his gentleness towards us, his patience towards us, his forgiveness towards us. And if we need it, we can't withhold it from somebody else because freely we receive and freely we give. We give. And, and 
Look at this. And yet you never gave me a young goat. In verse 12, it says that he divided to both of them all his livelihood. From that moment, the youngest son took off. The oldest son had his double portion. And he didn't recognize it and maybe didn't receive it, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't his. He just didn't have the benefit of it. And there are times we don't recognize it because we don't recognize we don't receive. Whether it's the love of God, whether it's the forgiveness of God, whether it's the mercy of God, the kindness of God. And if we don't receive it, we cannot possibly give it. One of the most frustrating things in our lives is trying to give something that we don't have. And until we receive the love of God, we can't give the love of God. Until we receive the mercy of God and the compassion of God, we can't give the compassion and mercy of God. The forgiveness of God. And when we do, when we realize we're forgiven, and how much we're forgiven of, that pride, that arrogance, that air of superiority disappears. Because we realize, God, you've been so merciful. You've been so loving. You've been so, so forgiving. You've been so patient. You've been so gentle. You've been so kind. And I have received that. And Father, I'm no different than this one. The Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And we see this, this process through his life where initially the Apostle Paul said, well, I'm a, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, I'm pretty well up there in society. And then later on we read in his writings, I'm the least of all the apostles. And near the end of his life, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. Was Paul having an identity problem? No, there was a reality that was striking him. I'm not as good as I think I am. But as the chief of all sinners, God is better than I ever believed him to be. Because he's been merciful and forgiving and gracious and kind to me when I didn't deserve it. And because he offered that to me, I'm willing to offer that. And I need to offer that to others. Because we know, we, we read last week and the week before, we found out if we're not willing to forgive another person, God is hindered in giving us forgiveness. It hinders our faith because faith works by love and love is forgiveness. And if we don't forgive, we're not loving. And our faith isn't working the way it should. There's another situation that Jesus finds himself in in Luke chapter 7. And uh, it starts out in verse 36, but in verse 39 is where we're going to, I believe we're going to jump in. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to jump in here. But here's what, let me set the stage for you. Jesus has been invited out to dinner. Isn't it great when you get invited out to dinner and somebody's going to take care of making sure you're well fed? You just look forward to that. Well, this was a Pharisee that invited Jesus out. How many of you know that was a little questionable? 
he invites Jesus to his house and says, come on over, let's eat. And, and there was an ulterior motive behind it, and Jesus knew it, but he went anyways. And, and he got to the Pharisee's house, and, you know, it, it, was, it was well known. Jesus didn't go anyplace without crowds. And so he shows up at the Pharisee's house, and uh, they sit down to get ready to eat. And those houses were different than ours. There was an open-air area that many times they would eat in, and people would stand and watch them eat. And this woman comes up, and she begins to, to minister to Jesus. And she's weeping, and she begins to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. She takes an alabaster box, this very expensive box, and breaks it and pours the perfume on, on his feet. And does all the things that this host should have done for Jesus. Should have had his feet washed, should have anointed him with this, this fragrant oil, but never did. Showed great disrespect for Jesus. And here she is showing great respect for him, great honor for him, great appreciation for him. And it says... When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this and talking about what was happening with this woman of ill repute doing this to Jesus, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him for she's a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. Now, Look at this man. He's, he's looking down on this woman as if he has no sin. He is being critical and judgmental and wrongly of Jesus. And Jesus shows him without having to do anything. This guy's talking to himself about how if he were a prophet, he wouldn't let her touch him. And, 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 and he answers the guy's statement to himself. And then he says... There was a certain creditor, remember, a certain, who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarii was one day's wage. 500 denarii was over a year's worth of wage. Go ahead. And when they had nothing which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, let's see. I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Do you think Simon was kind of guessing at that, or do you think he really knew? What do you think? Of course, the one that was forgiven more is going to love more. Sometimes it's hard to love people, isn't it? You find those people that are just like train wrecks. We look at them and we say, man, I don't know if I can, I can be kind to you or I can be gentle with you or I can be patient with you or I can be loving to you or merciful with you or forgiving to you, you know. Because we, I'm not saying you, I'm saying we, forget what's been done for us and who we've been and what we've done. It goes on to say in verse 47, I think it's 47, yeah. 
He said, I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Jesus wasn't ignorant. They are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. The reason why we don't show love the way God has for us to show love is because we forget the love that's been shown to us. We forget the forgiveness, the compassion, the mercy, the kindness, the gentleness, the humility God's shown to us. And we can't afford to do that. There are times where we we want to be like the older brother. Are you kidding me? Look what he's done. Look at how he's lived. Look at... His sin may have been more visible and easier to acknowledge, but the older brother was in his own sin. They were both in need of the father's love, of the father's compassion, of the father's humility to run to them. The father humbly went out to the son in the field and said, come on in, come on in, come on in. He pleaded with him where in that society, again, we need to know the time this was written in. No father had to plead with any kid. What he said they had to do or leave. And yet he humbly went out and pleaded with the older son, come on in, be a part of this. This is your brother too. Loving towards the older brother that was being a brat, towards the younger brother who had been a fool. In these days that we live in, there is such a need for the church to be the church, for God's people, the people of God, the people of love, to walk in the love of God. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, love never fails. All these other things will fail, but love will never fail. The people that are out there that seem like they'll never come to God, they're going to be drawn to God by God's love, by God's kindness, by God's mercy and God's compassion and God's gentleness and God's patience and God's forgiveness that is displayed in God's people. You and me, that's how we came. Somehow somebody chose to walk in love and love us in spite of us on behalf of God. And it drew us to him. The goodness of God leads us in repentance, turning around from the evil and turning towards good. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. At this moment, there's something that, that we read in the Psalms, and it's a word, and it's selah. It means pause and reflect. This is a selah moment for all of us here, you at home, that we would, we would really come to that awareness 
that God has been so loving to us, so merciful and compassionate and kind. so humbly gentle with us and patient and forgiving. And, and we've maybe not recognized it, maybe not received it, but today recognize God is reaching out to you. He's running to you with arms wide open to embrace you, to cover, to forgive, to cleanse, to restore, to reconnect you with him and your brothers and sisters so that there is no division that the enemy can exploit. And that unity, that oneness that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17, you would experience that reconnection with God. And in reconnecting with God, it makes it possible to reconnect in the body of Christ the way God intended without barriers, without offenses. Because they're not going to be in heaven. And God wants heaven on earth. And if you're aware that there are, release it. Let it go. Forgive. Give it to God. Allow your heart to be cleansed and healed and you to be made whole. And you may be sitting here, you may be sitting at home, and you may say, well, you know, I've, I've, not, I've not ever done that. It starts with us and God, recognizing that the whole Bible, the gospel story is all about love. God's love for every human being. God so loved every human being that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loved, gave, his son loved and gave and forgave our sins. And then in the forgiveness, he gave us abundant life. If you've never recognized what God has done, how he's loved you, how he's made a way for forgiveness for you and for you to be able to be reconnected, united with him, and then united with the body of Christ and experience the abundant life today, you can have that. If you've never received Christ as your Lord, I want to pray with you today. We're all going to pray this prayer together, but pray this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who came into this earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and died to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent. I recognize your sacrifice for me. I receive you as my Lord. I receive your forgiveness and your blessing of abundant life.
from this day forward. I'm yours. You are mine. Guide me. Govern me. Guard me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> if you prayed that prayer here today, let somebody know before you leave. And I know that's kind of a strange thing to ask you to do, but I, I'm telling you, there's a celebration going on in heaven, and we want to celebrate with you. You may say, well, I don't know anybody here. That's okay. You're part of the family. We want to celebrate with one of the greatest things that will ever happen in your life, the greatest thing. If you prayed at home or online, uh, go to our website, reslifeny.org. Go down to the prayer requests. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, uh, give us your name. If you want us to contact you, give us your name and some sort of contact information. God is so good. Would you stand? I just want to pray for you before you leave today. Thank you for loving God. Thank you for making time for God. Thank you for making time for this, whether here or at home. Thank you. Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. Wherever they are, you're there. Thank you for your plan for them, which is for good and not for evil, with a future and a hope. Thank you for the person and power of Holy Spirit who resides in them. Your word says, greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. That, Father, whatever they face, they don't face alone. Father, you're with each one of us this week. And we expect to see your goodness in the land of the living. We expect to see your victory. Father, we thank you for just flooding our hearts with your love by your spirit. Thank you, Father, for the gifts of the spirit. Thank you for the fruit of the spirit being manifest in our lives as you will. That, Father, we would live our life with you in your love and for your glory, showing the world around us a God who has loved them with an everlasting love and is drawing them with his loving kindness. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great week.